Craig Hoffman. An NBA Finals recap edition of the Hoffman Show here on HoffmanShow.com. And uh, we've done pretty good at sticking to the radio format. Not today, uh, because this is a need to decompress after probably the greatest basketball game I've ever seen edition of the Hoffman Show. And in order to do that, I want to call the one person I do call when I need to decompress like this, a man who left me this voicemail before the game yesterday. I am freaking out. I don't think I've ever been more excited for a game not involving a team that I have a direct rooting interest in. It's crazy! 73-9 against Cleveland! Come on! That is Kevin Brown, professional broadcaster and good friend. And Kevin, damn it, that was everything we could have dreamed of. Well, you need to make sure the people know I am a professional broadcaster after that giddy squealing and delight before the game. <laughs> you know, this was such a bizarre series, right? It, 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 wasn't, it was an epic series, but it was also epically weird because yes. we did not get a great game until the end, and then we got maybe the greatest game. Uh, there aren't many moments as a sports fan, I think, where everything leading up to an event actually falls short of the hype of the event itself. And certainly this moment yesterday, in terms of tension and drama and history and the biggest players on the biggest stage, it was not always the best game, but it was one of the greatest games. And there were so many lead changes and so many big moments and so many extraordinary images that I just will never forget as long as I live as a fan of NBA and as just a fan of the human drama that is sports. It was incredible. We could probably unpack this for an entire day's worth of conversation and still miss some of the amazing details. Yes, absolutely. And that's so what I'm guessing will probably be over the next hour. We will parse through as much of it as we possibly can. Um, and I, I think it's only right to start with the victors. There are certainly things to talk about with this Golden State team and not just like silly legacy questions. Like there's stuff we need to talk about that they did last night that's ridiculous. Um, but if you don't start with what LeBron James has done over the past two weeks, you are burying the lead. Um, and I, that, I mean, yeah, you're burying the lead, but I don't even feel like that that phrase does justice to how great this man has been as a basketball player, right down to the bitter end. Not only was the block, as it is now being called, to the, which is, of course, Cleveland's answer to the fumble and the drive and the shot, all in one. It is just, and how great is it that it is a block? It just, I am rejecting all of that, and I am king of the bleeping world. That is essentially what LeBron did last night, chasing down Andre Iguodala. And and not only do you look at that play just in a vacuum, and it's complete spectacularity, spectacularness, whatever that word is, the, the derivative of spectacular that it was, where my brain, as I'm watching it, did not compute what happened because it looks like LeBron James magically appeared in my picture and then somehow peeled that ball 
away or just smashed it off the glass before Andre Iguodala could put it on the glass, making it a legal block and not a missed goaltend, which I'm still not sure through the laws of physics how that happened. But he did it in Game 7 in his 46th minute when over the last decade he's played a season and a half more minutes than anyone else in the NBA. And he has that within him still because he is that superior and he truly is the king of the bleeping world to make that play in that moment when arguably no other player in the history in the league is even capable of it. And he freaking did it. I did not voluntarily shriek or involuntarily shriek until a good two seconds after the play. Normally, I, I immediately react. I was so stunned. I was so stupefied that he got to it that I was just silent for two seconds before yelping in the middle of my apartment. I Look, neither you or I are, are old enough to remember the 60s and the 70s and, and, and you know go back and watch all the game tapes of the 80s. I, I cannot believe, I cannot accept that anyone in the entire history of basketball has been as good as that particular play, the chase down block, as LeBron James did. And after all of the energy that he's expended over this year and over his career and over this series, I mean, it's an impossible play. To, to go from where he is to get that. And, and, you know, the funny thing is the game was still tied at that point, and we'll obviously get to Kyrie Irving. Who yeah. hit the three, by the way, that did win the series. I don't think that's going to be the lasting image. I think we no. see just the morning after. The lasting image of this series and of this season and of the last 60 years of Cleveland sports frustration is going to be that block. That is the moment, and I, I, I have you know I have a little bit of an issue as I say this of us identifying the moment already because normally the moment gets identified over time, months and years and decades later. But I think we can comfortably say that's the moment uh, that's going to live in the history of Cleveland. That may be on a billboard somewhere in Cleveland, you know, for for the next decade. LeBron blocking that shot and. It certainly deserves to be on a billboard right next to the queue for really all eternity. That that's the play, that's the summation of the effort, of the intensity. And on the night when, let's face it, LeBron didn't have his best shooting night. It, nope. it was not his best um, offensive game in terms of scoring, but he just did everything else so right. Uh, he had a freaking triple-double in Game 7 of the final. Right. A game and... where he's, his impact is certainly less than it had been the previous two, and he still produces at 27-11-11, and three yeah. blocks, and some amount of steals, and generally being LeBron James. Yeah, I, nobody, nobody else can do that. You know, it, It's been such a fascinating season for him, and, and this journey has been incredible to watch. Uh but we're reminded at the end of the day, oh, yeah, nobody else can do what this guy can do. This guy is one of the ten greatest players to ever play the game. And maybe your number is seven, and maybe it's five or a four. I don't know what it is. My number is it, two. It, it's certainly within that realm. My you're, number you're is two. Go, you're going two. It's him and Jordan. I don't know. Like, with all due respect to Magic and all due respect to Bird and all due respect to – I mean, I don't know what the hell you do with the centers – 
um, you know, the, the Kareem's and the Wilts and um, the Bill Russell's. I mean, it's just, I mean, in part, it's hard to compare the eras. It's hard to compare because you win the genetic lottery. But then that would be saying that LeBron didn't win the genetic lottery when right. he won it more than any of the seven footers. Um, he, but in terms of the ability to completely take over a game in all aspects, I don't know who is better than him. And I guess Jordan is, is certainly in that conversation forever and ever, but like this guy's just amazing. I mean, he played 47 minutes last night. Nobody can do the things he does. You know, people can do some of the things he does, but nobody can do all of the things he does and do them that well and that consistently. You know, I, I had this thought when LeBron went up for uh, what what looked like the game-clinching dunk for a split second. By the way, the, the you, you know, we're talking about the ability to launch for that block and all of that. Again, to just to try to go for that in that moment. Oh, sure. In your 47th minute? I mean, wow. And by the way... We'll get to the Golden State side of it, but like we need to at this point hat tip to Draymond for going to yes. challenge him at the rim because guess who else was in his forty seventh minute? That was two dudes who were the best two players on the floor last night colliding for a championship at the rim in that moment. Yeah, two championship players, two championship teams. I know we'll get to Draymond, but just to finish the point, when when LeBron goes down hard. And it looks for a moment like he might be seriously hurt. I had the thought, wait a minute, LeBron hurt in a playoff game? And I think last night, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was his 199th playoff game in his career. I don't have and, the number, but it's I believe, gotta be close. I believe that's the number. Um, I am certain of the second number, which is zero, and that's how many playoff games he's missed. The guy is a superhuman freak. The fact that he has never missed a playoff game. The fact that his body doesn't, not only doesn't spontaneously combust from all the mileage on it, but <laughs> seems to somehow get stronger and wear down everybody else, is just impossible. And I don't know what science could even explain it. Uh, he's he, he's a superhero. He, he's inhuman. He's he's an indestructible force, and we've never seen anyone anyone with the physical capabilities and the versatility uh, and, and just the mental and physical toughness of this guy. I mean, you, you appreciate every second that he's on the court yeah, because he's always doing something that can't be done. Well, so two things. One, uh, just stats and info cleanup. Yes, 199, that is correct. Averaging 42 minutes a game over those 199 playoff games, Come uh, on. and that's that's with some of those Miami years. Like he didn't play fourth quarters in some of those Miami games, uh, you know, in earlier right. rounds. So that's like when when the games matter, he's consistently playing 44 to 48, averaging 28 per game, 8.8 rebounds, 6.8 assists, 1.8 steals, almost a block per game over the course of his 199 playoff uh, games. So that's good. Um, the second the point way, is... I, I, I don't think you'll be able to say this about any player in the history of the game. Um, 
you can make a strong argument, and I will make the argument, that LeBron James has been the best player on the floor in five consecutive NBA finals. Ooh, um, well, Jordan never went to five straight. I mean, the, the list the list of players that have gone to five straight, is that, I don't even know if that's anything but LeBron and James Jones. And James Jones hasn't even played in five consecutive. He's just been on the roster. And, uh, well, and six straight when you when you extrapolate it, but he certainly was not the best player that Dallas period. Right. Uh, maybe maybe some of the old Celtics, I don't know if they made it to six Yeah, would Bill Russell, Bill Russell have been the best player on the floor in five straight? Uh, maybe. Maybe Bob Cousy was in one of those. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but, but we, any, anyway, it's, it's certainly he, the, it's certainly the, the most since the then, floor, and right. the, the number of teams in the league has tripled. Um, right. You know, so it's it's a different it's a different league, not necessarily a different. I mean, it is a different sport, and the geometry of the game has changed, but um, it's it's definitely a different league. Um, the other point is, and I don't want to have any of this come off as diminishing what Cleveland has done because they earned it. But you talk about the science of LeBron being able to do what he did. Part of this is the fact that earlier in the playoffs, they were so good. And this is, again, it's credit to them that earned them this rest. They played 14 games in 42 days before the Toronto series. Or I think they're midway through the Toronto series. 14 and 42. That's a ton of rest. Meanwhile, Golden State on the other side is, is, is fighting tooth and nail um, not really with Houston, but with Portland. Um, that was a really tough series, which they didn't have Steph for part of. Then Golden State series was an absolute war. And Steph wasn't healthy for, for all of it. So there, that creates more stress on other players. Um, and, and, you know, in a, in a crawl to the finish line, Cleveland was healthier. And LeBron is looking spry. And Kyrie is looking spry. And... Warriors were banged up and injured and, and not spry. Uh, but that's not a knock on Cleveland. In fact, it's credit to them because they didn't mess around in the earlier rounds. They took care of business and they earned themselves that rest. But we can also acknowledge they were able to do that because they were playing against the East. And like that's why LeBron wanted to stay in the East. I mean, Cleveland happens to be in the East and he wanted to go home. But like when, when he looked to leave, he was never looking to leave the East. And it, it's, it's just smart. Um, so it's not meant to diminish. It's, it's just you know credit to Cleveland for earning themselves that rest, and then you know they're able to take it to the end. Um, but LeBron in general, man, I mean, just his ability to control a game, and it's it's not just that he's a physical anomaly and won the genetic lottery by being six nine, two sixty, chiseled beyond belief, a forty inch vertical, and able to run a four four. He is an Einstein level basketball thinker, and. In this series, and I don't know how much of this is LeBron, how much of this is Ty Lue, how much of this is some unheralded um, assistant coach who deserves way more credit than he's ever going to get. But to go to the strategy they did of isolating Steph Curry, and Steph is going to come out of this with some reputation as a horrible defender. He's not that, but he is the worst on their team, which just shows you how good Clay and... Draymond and Iguodala and Barnes and Livingston and pretty much everyone else is not named Leandro Barbosa or most Spates. Um, and so they attack the weakest link and anybody guarding LeBron James is a mismatch, specifically if they're, you know, a more wiry guy. And Steph certainly is stronger than people want to give him credit for, but he's not strong enough to handle LeBron. And I actually thought Steph did a pretty good job on LeBron, but in part of that was because 
they had to help him so much, and that created you know kickout opportunities and why LeBron had 11 assists last night. But LeBron figured out, technically speaking, how to make sure they switched every time. I cannot remember a team being able to force switches. I mean, because, look, Golden State likes to switch, but they, they were trying by the end of the series to not switch, to keep Iguodala or Draymond on LeBron. And LeBron just found this way to pick and then turn his back and seal Steph Curry. So that switch was forced. And, you know, that is not just having the physical ability to do it, but the mental ability to think of how to do it. Because that's something I, quite frankly, don't remember ever seeing before. You know, what's so funny is going into this series, everyone talked about this, but the opposite way around of how good Golden State is at making sure they get their worst defenders switched on steps, seeking out your worst guy, how they were going to seek out Kevin Love. And, yeah, they did that, but, but Cleveland kind of won up them here. Uh, and and I, I, you mentioned Ty Lue. And, and maybe we'll never know exactly how much of it was LeBron or how much of it was Ty Lue, how much of it was this, this, this. Ty Lue, man, job well done. Hat tip to him for his lineup changes, for knowing when to go with certain guys, for writing Richard Jefferson, who rides up into the sunset. Richard Jefferson's for, a damn NBA uh, champion. For giving Kevin his Love that much interview. run. interview with uh, Ali. Uh, oh, God, now I'm forgetting Ali. I missed that. I, I missed that. I tweeted it out, at Craig Hoffman. Uh, okay. If people want to tweet, you know, check it out. You can. You obviously know where to find me on Twitter. But for anybody listening that does not, uh, I tweeted it out. Um, Ali... Allie, 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 the sideline reporter for the Cavs, who's terrific, um, but with her was just awesome and ended with, because he, he was definitely drunk and ended with him pouring champagne on them. <laughs> I did see Kevin Love in a Stone Cold shirt dousing beer all over yep. his face, but that was, that was exciting. Yep, uh, that was good. Yeah, the Cavs, were really, the Cavs were really smart in this series. They adjusted well as it went on. I mean, we forget that after game two, this looked like it might be a sweep. And, and, you know, obviously the Draymond flagrant changed everything, but after game four, it looked like it might be over two. And Cleveland was just a smarter team. They they did what they wanted to do offensively in the last three games. Uh, and they also they did it by figuring out – Allie Clifton is Allie's last name. Allie. I don't know why I could not think of that, and that was bothering me terribly. Um they did it by realizing we can't beat Golden State's team defense. Golden State's team defense is the best in basketball. And they figured out a way to break that down by not dealing with it. It's like, you know what? We're going to get guys in one-on-one situations where right. with advantageous matchups, which is very 90s basketball. But that's our best route because attacking, the attacking their team unit is a losing proposition. That is immensely smart. And I don't know whether – because, like, it seemed like Lou wanted to play this up-tempo style. And, you know, I, I don't know what eventually got through and to, to him where he's going, nope, okay, we cannot run with this team. But they could not run with that team. That was not an option. And so they didn't. And they, they forced turnovers and they got out in transition and were still able to be lethal in, in when they ran. But they were smart about when they did it. And in the half court, they didn't mess with Golden State's team defense and try to move the ball around and beat it that way because you can't do it. Yeah, and that's different. You know, when you watch them in that Atlanta series, they were whipping the ball around like right. crazy. Everybody was shooting threes. 
And here they, they realized their best chance to win was, you know what? We have some of the best isolation players in the world. Kyrie Irving is as good of an isolation player as anybody in the world. LeBron got it mismatched. Even in a couple of times in Game 7, if you bet Kevin Love on Clay Thompson the post, I mean, J.R. Smith would have big players on him. Isolation plays, even though we've been, in a way, um, brainwashed by Golden State brilliance and, and, and San Antonio, San Antonio brilliance, yeah. yep, sharing the ball. Isolation basketball can still be the best play, and it was for Cleveland in these games because they forced mismatches. They had the players that were capable of doing it, um, and, and they figured it out. They utilized their roster to the best of its advantage. But I want to make this point really clear. It wasn't simple isolation basketball. They created advantageous mismatches, and then they moved They moved on the weak side because that's the one thing you cannot do is just isolate, and teams will probably try this against Golden State next year, and they're going to get killed if they try it because they're going to screw it up and they're going to try to isolate and then all the help is going to be in place and you're winding up attacking that five-man unit again. What they did was they basically said, at most we're going to attack you two-on-two and the other three guys are going to be distracted because the other three guys are going to move. It's not just going to be J.R. Smith spotting up in the corner and Kevin Love on the wing and Richard Jefferson in the other corner and LeBron and Kyrie in pick and roll. It's, okay, we might have Richard Jefferson in, in one corner, but then switch, right, as the the action really takes place. And so now all of a sudden you're you're getting more confusion uh, or more communication happening away from the ball, which takes attention away from the ball. And that really does that one-on-one-two matchup. And, and in that isolated vacuum, the Cavs did have an advantage. You have to have that other stuff going on because if you let Golden State's help defense be in place and focus on just helping, again, it's losing proposition. And they figured it out and they executed it at a really high level. Yeah, it wasn't just four guys standing around watching Kyrie, which maybe it was for last year. You know, the other thing is, too, it, it helps when you have two players that are as elite and crashing the offensive board, there's Love, who was so big last night, and Tristan Thompson, too, who maybe wasn't quite as big last night, stepped up later in the game, but had a, just a, an awesome series overall. Look, that, that Tristan Thompson deal is certainly a, a LeBron favor and, and maybe an exorbitant amount of money, but, man, did it come through in this series, the way he played, the way he was able to switch out on that time, uh, Thompson had an incredible series, but they they utilized everyone's strength, and it was it was just an awesome display of all right, we figured it out. We we kind of figured out our team now, and, and this is how we're going to go out at seventy three and nineteen. We're not going to play into their trap, which everybody else kind of does. Yeah, for sure. And by the way, if all of a sudden people are noticing a difference in sound quality, I've switched microphones because technology sucks. Um, but yeah, I mean, to, to see Tristan Thompson and Kevin Love be able to stay on the floor and Kyrie to be able to stay on the floor, I mean, that's that was exactly what I talked about before this series. And I know you and I talked about it. Um, I talked about it on this podcast, and I laughed at Dave McMenamin when he was on and he picked the Cavs. I'm like, dude. Like, you don't really believe that. You're saying that because you cover the team. Because Kyrie and Kevin are going to get played off the floor. And he's like, I think they can do it. And he was right. And look, it took, and this definitely is credit to Ty Lue. Like, it took them not being on the floor together a ton, especially against the death lineup. Like, they had to make sure they only had Kyrie or Kevin on the floor. I, I would be interested to dive into some of the minutes distribution 
and see what the, that two-man lineup was for the series in terms of plus-minus. But then again, I mean, it probably looks all right because last night they definitely played some together and were good. Uh, but they figured it out. And that that brings me to a larger point, too, that I wanted to get to. And then maybe we'll dive back into some of the minutia of last night, maybe some things that we forgot. I took a few notes, and um, I'm excited to reopen those notes and go like, oh, yeah, I thought that was important at the time. Or, wow, that was important, and people aren't talking about it at all. I already know one thing, and it involves Jake. Or, or how about this? Wow, Festus Azili was still in the game with well, six minutes to go. We'll, we'll get to the warrior side of it. Festus! Uh, yeah, that was that was just preposterously stupid by Steve Kerr. Um, but what was I talking about before that? Before my sidebar of introducing what's later. Um, oh, the the larger point I wanted to make. So I heard I was listening to the True Hoop um, podcast, uh, their post mortem podcast this morning that they did last night, and. There's not a group of like basketball people that I respect more, their opinion more, than that group of people. It's it's Tom Haberstroh and Amin El Hassan and Kevin Arnovitz and Pablo Torre and Baxter Holmes were in on this particular podcast and Ethan Strauss and that crew. Like when it comes to smart basketball opinions, like those are the people I go to. But they made a point that I vehemently disagree with. Um, and you know, is this the end of us seeing the regular season as important? And perhaps the results, I'll listen. But if anything, this proves the importance of the regular season. And I would have said the same thing if Oklahoma City beat Golden State. Golden State was able to go 73-9 and because they were the best freaking team on earth last year and didn't change a thing. And so you get, you get this head start on everyone else. What the regular season is for most teams is a tinkering process. It's an ability. It's time where the stakes are not as high to figure out what works and what doesn't. And for the Cavaliers, like we can look at it and go, "Oh, they fired their head coach in the regular season. See how much that doesn't matter." No, that's exactly the point. They figured out they needed to fire their coach. They figured out that these particular lineups worked and these ones didn't and they figured out that this style of play worked and this one didn't and they were able to try things and figure it out and maybe it's just because i i've spent time around teams and talking to coaches over the course of the season and and think of it that way is the time that a team develops but damn it like if you want to say the regular season results don't matter and they're not predictive fine but if you want to say the regular season doesn't matter as a time for a team to develop, then you don't know anything about sports. Is that what they were saying? That the regular season doesn't matter as much in development? Is that I mean, the point? I think they were they were more making the point of, um, you know, it being about, um, you know, the the record the the records because Oklahoma City and. But, I mean, they did say, one of them said, you know, like, look, Oklahoma City and Cleveland coasted during the regular season. Well, they coasted in the playoffs record-wise. They, they may not have maximized their, their regular season record, but they certainly were using that time as an experiment. Yeah, well, particularly Oklahoma City. I, I don't think Billy Donovan was coasting. I think we realized that when Billy Donovan pulled a, a, a rabbit out of his hat, the Spurs and Warriors series, when they all realized, oh, crap, Billy Donovan actually is a good NBA coach. We, 
why did we miss this? And then we realized, oh, right, Billy Donovan was just tinkering around for 82 games, seeing what worked and what didn't. trying to figure stuff out. It's a new team with yeah. pieces. Like, and if anything, that's it's, you could make the argument that San Antonio's regular season was more impressive than Golden State's, despite the six less wins, because they won 67 games while implementing new pieces. Right. With a point differential that was right up there with Gold right. State, too. I mean, look, I, I, I'm not going to say that it was, but like, I'll at least not go, you're a psychopath who doesn't yeah. know anything if you want to say that. Like, Golden State once went 73-9. and nine. Like, the math is the most impressive thing. Um, but still, what, what San Antonio did during the regular season was insane because of that reason. Yeah, I'm, I, I have no pushback here. I... I Look, the, the regular season, I mean, Cleveland, Cleveland, you brought up the firing of the coach. Like, the regular season had to matter for Cleveland. Like, they kind of changed who they were. They were not, they were not even close to this level when they fired David Blatt. They had to tinker. They had to make changes. Um, if you want to argue that, okay, the regular season results, Golden State going seventy three and nine doesn't mean as much. Yeah, yeah, I understand that, but I mean, I, it, I understand it, it to a point, but it also does ignore you know NBA history that says these teams that are that good don't lose. Yeah, it like also, this, by this the way, an anomaly like San Antonio and Golden State not winning is a complete statistical anomaly in the course of NBA history. Oh yeah, but you know what? The, this Cleveland team and LeBron James is a statistical amount. So, right. Uh, and, and again, in, 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 a, in, a, in the course of a long regular season, it's different than when it's one team versus one team for four to seven games. Obviously, the matchups completely take over. But yeah, going into this playoffs, I, I, I don't know the exact percentage, but the San Antonio Golden State Championship odds. I think we're somewhere in the probably combined 60 to 65, if not higher, percentage range from you know the true folks and the analytic-based model just because of the way they ran through it. But you know what? That's why you play the postseason games, and that's why LeBron James is LeBron James. That's why last series Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook were who they were. It was just a hell of a ride. Yeah, it's a weird thing that Golden State or San Antonio didn't play. It doesn't diminish what they did, though. They are just superhuman freaks on these other two teams. Yeah. And they are our teams that discover their identities. And Golden State had an identity. And, and that's not to say it didn't tinker with it, but I think Cleveland was a lot more malleable and, and had to be because, again, they fired their coach. Um than Golden State was over the course of the season. Cleveland had more growth. That's not to say at all that Golden State did grow. It's just that they were more of a polished product. And you can't really find that, I don't think, in, in an analytics model as well. Which is, a, which is of course, not, a, not an anti-analytics take. Right, um, right. But 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 but, but there is there analytics can only yeah. look at what's happened and analyze that, yes. and we can look at those numbers and make educated predictions on what is going forward. But what of those course. numbers do ignore is the ability for people to outperform what they've done, and that's essentially what happened. Cleveland played at a level that they had not previously, um, and Golden State also played at a level that they had not previously, a level lower. Um, 
and so we're almost to Golden State. But first, first, um, a couple first, things that we yeah, got quick, about from last night. Quick, yeah. By the way, quick, quick shout-out to my man, Earl. Quick well, shout-out so to NBA champion J.R. Smith. So do you remember J.R. Smith's impact on that game last night? I, re- I remember J.R. Smith when Cleveland was down eight and a third. Yep. I think it was eight, draining yep. two threes in a row. That was a huge mo- because that was the moment, and I texted you at halftime that I, I, I didn't see a way for Cleveland um, because I, I just thought in the first half, Golden State was much better. Should have been up by a few more. Cleveland had a few defensive breakdowns, and it looked like the game was kind of slipping away, and then J.R. hit those two massive, massive shots. That was exactly what I was going to say. The JR run to start the third quarter is simultaneously what saved the game for Cleveland at that time and just the best example of where Steve Kerr deserves blame for losing game seven. And there, he's not the only one that deserves blame. I, and what's crazy is when you look at the, you know, the top three, I, I hate playing the blame game, but I, I've never really felt more comfortable than I would with the blame of three guys that... I otherwise like would trust immensely. Like if you want to look at who to blame for Golden State for this series, it's Steph, Kerr, and Draymond. No doubt. Like that's like everything else is secondary um, to those the mistakes that those three guys made. And you know the Jr. run happens while Festus Azili is on the floor. And I don't know how much of it you draw back to Festus, but um, I'm pretty sure at least one of those shots was over him. Um, But just defensively, they're not as organized. They're not as good with him on the floor. And look, I we had a conversation before the game um, and you asked me, you start Kevin Love or do you start RJ? And I said, I think I'd start Love because the upside of Kevin Love is better like the Cavs are significantly better if he plays well and I'm willing to risk that confidence boost and if it doesn't work I pull the plug that winds up paying off that's pr- probably why Ty Lue did it and you know we see the result yep I'm okay but with the same exact reasoning although he's much less of a player with Kerr starting Festus Azili the Warriors needed something from their centers so you start Festus and you see what happens and if it doesn't work, you pull the plug. And the problem was Kerr didn't pull the plug. He did not pull the plug. Not only did he not pull the plug, they tried to feed Festus early. Like, why the hell are you feeding Festus Azili? He's Festus Azili. Like, what do you He doing? had their first two shots of the game, right? Yeah. I mean, the second one, okay, fine. It was a lob attempt on a dunk. And, I mean, it was contested. It was a good defensive play by Cleveland. But they gave him Festus a post-up. Why? What are you doing? Don't give Festus Azili a post-up in Game 7 of the NBA Finals. Every possession's too important. So let him go out there and run around. And if he makes a couple of plays because he's Festus Azili and he's athletic and he's big, then great. But they went after him and they torched him. So you sit his ass on the bench and you don't let him get up again. You make him sit there through halftime. No, you are glued to that bench. Like... Do, do not get up. If I accidentally call your name, you still sit down. And instead, Kerr not only went back to him start of the second half, but in the most inexplicable coaching move since, 
I don't know when. I mean, you can second-guess Popovich kind of for leaving Duncan on the bench a couple of years ago when LeBron uh, got that key. I think it was LeBron and maybe Bosch got that key rebound. Bosch got the rebound. Oh, yeah, it was the Bosch rebound on the Ray Allen shot, and Duncan's not on the floor. Like, at least since then, and I think this is even more questionable than that because that was a single possession. Steve Kerr went back to Festus freaking Azili in crunch time. Yeah. Why? Let me just say this. Explanation. Uh, uh, let me just say this. And I, I, I don't like, especially good NBA coach. And Steve Kerr is a really good coach. Absolutely. I, 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 I don't like I love Kerr just honing in on one particular decision for guys like Kerr or Popovich or something. But in the moment, we had the same reaction of what is this guy doing on the court? And in, in crunch time of the finals, right around the midway point of the fourth, LeBron got switched down to him, got him in the air, hit three free throws. Yep. LeBron got switched down to him again. It is only three. Uh, and after after he got in the air and fouled him on the three free throws, you figured, all right, Steve Kerr's finally learned his lesson. You nope. can't have his Ely in. Right. There are easy mismatches to exploit. He did it again. And then I think after the three, LeBron went out him one more time and missed a jumper. Yep. Um, and then that was finally it. But and at that point, uh, Harrison Barnes was already at the table. But it's like... The thing is about the Warriors, what makes them so special is Kerr has the confidence in James Michael McAdoo to play in a finals game, right? They have right. options. You have a zillion options on the bench. Okay, maybe not a zillion, but you have up to 13 players um, that are active for any given game. And Kerr could have gone, whether it was probably not going to McAdoo in that spot because he hadn't played all game. Varejao was a mixed bag of effective and awful um you're not really looking to go to him and he probably played too much but you've got Livingston and Barbosa who have been phenomenal just stick Draymond at center and play another small guy figure that out at some point you just go down and look they did it in game five without Draymond they went screw and, and after Bogey got hurt Kerr essentially went screw it if we're going down we're going down with five of our best players on the floor and in Game 7, with five minutes to go, or whatever it was, eight minutes to go, in a tie game, he's got Festus freaking Azili out there. What are you doing? And it's not just the defensive matchups. It screws them up offensively. And as Steph and Clay are struggling and need every bit of space that they can get, why, are you, why is Festus Azili existing? Well, for that, we have to go to the parents of Festus Azalea and ask what they were thinking. <laughs> now, look, I, I, I'm with you. Um, I, I didn't hear Steve Kerr's full answer. I believe it was something to the effect of we were hitting three, so I wanted extra physicality. I don't want to quote him directly because, again, I don't know exactly what he said, but it is, it is the toughest thing to justify from last night, maybe the whole series, as a coaching decision, why he was out there that repeatedly and that late in the game, uh, I don't know, and it clearly tangibly no cost them. You don't know because there's no good reason for it. Yeah. Um, so I guess with that, we've kind of transitioned to the Warriors side of it. Um, so the three guys that I look 
for the most blame in the series are the three guys that I probably trust the most with Golden State to have an impact on the game in a positive manner. Steph Curry has answered the bell every single time it has been rung, seemingly, over the past two years. His knack for being a clutch player and hitting big shots is, like, it felt like he was batting a 1,000. And then in this series, he just wasn't good. And not only was he not good, and look, the health thing matters. Like, his ability to be special was gone, to absolutely punish those mismatches, to turn the corner, to finish at the rim. It was all gone. It wasn't just that he was facing solid athleticism and length. Like, that had some role. You've got to give some credit to the Cavaliers for that. But, man, he, he, like, he made dumb decisions. The around-the-back pass attempt to play, oh. it's, it's un- indefensible. The only indefensible. Attempt, the only attempt at a defense I will give is this. During the regular season, and probably even other playoff games, and even maybe earlier in a playoff game, you go, that's who he is. Like, he's this creative artist, essentially, and you don't want to infringe on that. But at the same time, like, it's five minutes to go in the NBA Finals, and your team cannot score. Take care of the basketball. It is absolutely the Warriors' Achilles heel. And Steph is at the, at the center of it. He is careless at times. And... It's one thing to be careless at times, but when the moment is its biggest, and it's not like the moment is too big. It's like he didn't care about the moment. I don't think it was pressure that got to him. It was the pressure not infiltrating his brain going, let's be a little more careful because these possessions matter. And Which, real quickly, quickly, I think that can be a blessing and a curse. I think there is a positive thing to be said about somebody not blocking up and letting the pressure of that moment get to them. Sure. At at the same time. He's not scared, um, but he should have been a little more scared. At at the same time, yeah, a little, that's exactly it. A little more self-awareness when you're throwing that pass with with not going to pick up. No doubt. No doubt. And I thought his answer was interesting as well on a decision-making standpoint of what happened on that last that last possession with Kevin Love. He gets the switch, and then he said, you know, what happened? And he just kind of smirked. Ethan Strauss asked the question. He goes, I hunted a three. And he's like, I, I was hunting a three. And they're down three, so that makes some level of sense. And he's Steph Curry, and he's hit more threes than anyone in NBA history in the last 12 months, in any 12-month span ever. And in these finals, for as bad as he's been, he's hit more threes in an NBA finals than anyone ever. He had hit four on the night already. But you don't need three. And he hit Kevin Love with kind of a shoulder shot fake that got Love off the ground. And then he he tried to step back. Like, just drive it. There's plenty of time. You're going to wind up fouling... You know, you try to keep the ball out of Kyrie's hands and foul anyone else and hope they miss a free throw, and then you can get your three next time. Um, And you just play the possession game. You know, you've got timeouts. It's time score situation. And if anyone's ever going to hunt a three, yeah, I want it to be Steph Curry. And I'd love it to be Steph Curry against Kevin Love. But 
he made a mistake there. And I, I, it's certainly an understandable mistake more than the around-the-back pass and some of the other passing decisions that he made. But in that spot, it's one of those where you go, man, you just you gotta, you gotta kind of make the the right play there, even though for him, the definition of the right play often feels different than every other player on earth. I don't listen to a ton of talk radio, and 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 I don't like getting caught up in the opinion based like immediate, fiery, everyone sucks when you lose right. take world that we're in. And, and I, I say that because I hope, I hope with somewhat naively, uh, naively with some naivete that Steph doesn't get sucked into that. But I'm sure people will, will be ripping it. He did not have a good finals. You said that. I'll say that he did not have a good finals. Nope. Um, and arguably the worst and, finals, and, you, and maybe inarguably the worst finals for an MVP in league history. Like, I'm not yeah, trying to tell you he was secretly sure. good. I don't think he was abysmal. Um, like, it's, I mean, he still did average, I think, 20-something a game. He did set right. the NBA Finals record for threes, but the turnovers were egregious. Now, at the same time, I, I'll just say this to defend Steph. It's not, not that Steph needs defending. He's doing okay. Maybe he needs defending for the new shoes, but, but I'm not going to touch that. Um <laughs> He was the unanimous MVP. He carried the team through a historic record-breaking season where every night that guy was the main attraction and people are showing up 90 minutes early to watch him before the game. Then he gets hurt in the playoffs, comes back. We don't know what percentage he's at physically. We don't know where he is. Yeah. We don't know where he is mentally. He melts down in game six. All of this, he still had a chance to hit a three and to make the right play and tie the game. And I, and I just, I can't even begin to imagine the mental burden that this season took on him. Because after all of the things that happened and after the ejection in game six, he was still the right play away there from, from tying the game or from driving and being down one. Um, and Cleveland was just a little bit sharper at the end than he was then. And that to me is is no great fault of Furry because of all of the things if you look back at the twelve months and everything that's transpired this year. But yeah, this was a bit of a I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to say if it come to Jesus, but that's a little bit too strong. But yeah, this was this was the adversity. This was Steph getting smacked in the face by the game, by the fact that yeah, this is a ridiculously high level of basketball, and he just wasn't quite as sharp. He wasn't quite as sharp in the game. He wasn't quite as sharp in the series. I don't think ill of him for that, but Golden State needed him to be there. And, again, it's, I'm not going to kill him long term, and I, and, I, and I don't want to because he's too much fun, and, and, and I, I don't think this proves that he's like – Peyton Manning of the NBA or lacks the clutch gene. I think that's all garbage. But if you I think Steph Curry watched, lacks the clutch gene, you haven't watched basketball yeah. for two years. I, I, I do think it all warmed out a little bit. I think Cleveland warmed out a little bit, too, with the way they went after it. We talked about the switching earlier. And, and I think a lot of it goes to the Cavs. But, yeah, Steph didn't make the plays down the stretch that we're used to seeing him make. I mean, and, and for whatever the reason is, he, he did not make those plays. 
And with all of that, I think something you said in the middle there is like the most, my biggest takeaway. Think about what it took to beat this team. It took the greatest finals performance we've ever seen from arguably the greatest player we've ever seen. Steph not being 100%. Kerr losing his absolute mind. Draymond getting suspended. And with all of that in Cleveland's favor. With a minute to go. A game with a minute to go in game seven. And Steph Curry had a shot to tie it. And it took the greatest play maybe we've ever seen of the chase down block for Golden State to not have a lead on that Andre Iguodala layup that would have made it 91-89. And it took an outrageously skilled shot by Kyrie Irving to finish them off. It took all of that to beat them. It took every single bit of a championship-level team in the Cleveland Cavaliers giving all of that and by the way, we talked about LeBron near injury earlier. Like, in some ways, not that I was at all rooting for him to be injured, like, there would have been some poetic justice. Not just poetic justice. There, there would have just been some poetry. It's not poetic justice. Just, just some poetry in LeBron literally giving his all for this championship, for that town, um, if he had been hurt. And the one time we've not seen him get up, um, but instead he goes and knocks down a free throw instead because the, the poetry is that he's actually an indestructible tank. But it took all of that to beat this team. This team is something better than championship level when it's at its best. And with a wounded Steph, they were quote-unquote nearly championship level. And they got beat by another championship level team. There's still a there's still a championship level team, and you you hit it. This, this is not a referendum on Golden State. A lot of things went wrong, and they were still tied with a minute to go in Game Seven. They uh, they have developed such depth, such culture. I mean, the, the contributions of Livingston at points in this series, and of Barbosa, and of like, everyone the on the game floor. One. It seems like it was a month ago. Livingston, like- yeah. He was the best player on the one floor. Game one. Yeah. I. It's. It's just. A, they. They are such an awesome team. They. They are an awesome group. They are awesome individuals to watch. Uh, and yeah, a lot of things went wrong, and here they were still with a minute to go in a tie game. Like I. 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 I know that. You know the, the Warriors kind of uh, honeymoon period is over. And I understand people have, have frustrations now. People are, are sort of and the anti Draymond camp after the way that he was just kicking around the, the playoffs. Curry camp I, is kicking up too, but yep, yep. Steph's outburst in uh, Game Six and yep. what Aisha did. I, I, you know, I, I don't care. I, 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 I don't care. They're, they're a championship group. The way that they played was was awesome. Like the effort last night, the way that Draymond played, and I think maybe we could touch on Draymond now. Draymond was out of his freaking mind, uh, doing everything, draining threes, flexing after three-point plays. Like, just an awesome, awesome championship-caliber performance. He was the second-best player on the floor, probably in the game. Uh, no, he absolutely was. 
I mean, he damn near had a triple double himself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that able to hit a like freaking I, shot for his squad in the last five minutes. He probably would have. He finished with 32, 15, and nine. Yeah. He was six of eight from three. Yeah. And that, that dude answered the bell. That dude got up in the biggest game of his life and has nothing to be ashamed about from last night. Uh, and yeah, he did get suspended. That may have cost him the series. But last night, boy, was he something to watch. It was awesome. It was oh, just awesome to see him say. go. This is, you know, I talked about the three guys that I would trust the most that wound up costing Golden State the most in this series. The decisions Kerr makes in Game 7, Steph's overall performance being lackluster, and then, wow, the Draymond suspension. And the thing is, like, that's the one that I feel, I, I, I feel bad in a way for Draymond because I don't think, and I know this is somewhat of an unpopular opinion, I don't think any of them were on purpose. Like, I don't think he kicked Steven Adams in the junk on purpose. I don't think that he punched LeBron in the junk on purpose. Um, but the point the NBA was making in the collective, and they told him this after the Adams play, quit flailing. You are hitting dudes in the junk. Yes. And you need to get that under control. Even if it's by accident, when you do it multiple times, you have to be more self-aware. And so from that, I don't feel bad for Draymond. He had to know better in that spot, um, even if LeBron egged him on. And, uh, I mean, I wish they could have just called it a technical foul and not given him a suspension. And if they do, I mean, if I'm Cleveland, I'm going, what the? Because I don't think the Cavs beat the Warriors twice at home with Draymond playing. I just don't think that's in the cards. I don't either. But they got that chance to play one without Draymond. And he, I mean, that was a thought that crossed my mind when that suspension came down. I mean, I think we probably talked after game five before I knew the suspension was possible. And I was like, this thing's over. Well, when Draymond got suspended, I'm thinking, man, if they can steal game five without Draymond, they go home for game six, and then you've got the best player on the floor in game seven, and who knows what happens. Like, that all of a sudden made the path to winning very seeable for Cleveland that suspension opened up the finals without it Golden State won won a week ago I think they went in five without it I really do Um, who knows but I agree with you I don't know if Draymond was intentional or not but let's be honest Draymond, who plays with such swagger and brashness, that's fun to watch, but he's also brought this extra scrutiny upon himself. He certainly is a showman of sorts on the court. Uh, every move is under close examination. Whether or not he might do it, like, he just can't. Uh, you, you can, I know this has been rehashed time and time again, and, and obviously we can go back and forth on whether or not he should have been suspended but it wasn't him being suspended. This is the important part. He wasn't suspended for that play on LeBron. Correct. He was he was suspended for the aggregate, uh, for the aggregate, and he deserved to be suspended for the aggregate. So, yeah, he was also in Game Seven, but he brought this upon himself. And if he could have just kept himself in line a little more, I really think the series is over at five. I really do. I know Kyrie and LeBron went off. But they went off with Draymond not on the floor. I mean, that matters. It, it informed it about it. It matter, it, it's everything. If you look back at Game 5 specifically and how they got off, there were so many direct lines back to Draymond. 
Um, you know, the, the, the pick and roll coverage changes dramatically with Draymond in the game because some of these switches that are now advantageous become just neutral. You know, because Draymond can guard Kyrie and he can guard LeBron because he's arguably the best defensive player in the league. You know, he's one of the top three, probably him, Kawhi, and pick your third. You know, it's the communication. You know, Kyrie gets all these threes in transition. Where Draymond, I've seen, I saw it multiple times because I was paying attention and watching for it in game six and seven. Well, like Draymond just like you know will dodge at a, at a guy in transition, and it's enough to let his teammates come back. You know, similarly, we go back to that LeBron play. Like J.R. Smith is never going to get credit, but J.R. Smith slows Andre Iguodala enough that LeBron is the play of the century. You know, like Draymond does that kind of stuff all the time. Just little, literal. I mean, when I say literal steps in a certain direction that will allow his teammates to recover. The little things that he does would not have let 82 points happen between those two guys as great as they were. It's just not going to happen. And then from there, the confidence is rolling, and who knows? It is a massive trickle-down effect, not to mention if they can win game five, then the fact that Andrew Bogut isn't available for six and seven, and Andre Iguodala is back, making him not be able to move in game six. Like All that stuff comes into play because they lose game five. Because Draymond was out, it is a massive difference in this series. And, you know, here we are a, a week later with Cleveland as a very, very deserving NBA champion. You, you, just, uh, you just teased my, the next thing I was going to bring up, which was at a much smaller scale, the loss of Bogut for six and particularly seven. Um, not that Andrew Bogut was one of Golden State's top pieces, the level of green. But you mentioned they didn't get anything from their centers last night. I have to imagine Bogut's giving you something. He's at least chipping love a little bit low. He's not He's letting Cleveland get his lopsided rebound advantage. That game yeah. play or Steph open. I mean, like, that, that, all that's of his like, value, yeah. like defensively, there's, there's definitely some, and he had some shot-blocking impact in the series. But he offensively, gives them someone they actually run some offense through where they can run these they basically give the ball to Bogut and trust his passing ability and decision making to have four other super dangerous guys run around and make you try to keep up and whichever one pops open you know that's what you get yeah I mean we're and and, and it's been buried and, it, and we're burying it here you know we're, we're somewhere around an hour in and we're not mentioning Bogut until now but that mattered that was big. And at the same time, you you can take that against you, you can take that against Cleveland's winning. You say uh, at the same time that the NBA bends the brakes. And guess what? Golden State won last year with no Irving outside yep. of Game One and no love. And in many so ways, you could probably happened. just argue that the championships should have been flipped. That Cleveland sure. Cleveland deserved to win it last year, and Golden State with their regular season should have won it this year. Yeah. I think I think Cleveland and Golden State each winning one the way the last two years played out is probably a fair result. I yeah, do. In some ways. And, maybe it's fair because it's 1-1. I think Golden State yeah. was the better team in both years. But you want to know what? Like, go, this is what happens when you have the best player right. on the planet. He and it, just elevated to a level that was makes really – like. All of this other stuff matters because the margins are so small. But if you want to, like, zoom out and go, wait, why are we even talking about this? Like, just 
you, there, there is a part of me that goes, no matter what would have happened, LeBron would have found a way. Yeah, and he wasn't even hitting his shots last night, too. Right. Uh, you know, and you mentioned, I think, uh, well, before we came on, Zach Lowe's podcast, previewing Game 7, mm. and you and I obviously are a huge fan of Zach and the way he thinks about the game. And after all of his breaking down with Kev Arnovit, Zach said sometimes it is as simple as if LeBron is hitting his jump shot, Cleveland is probably going to win. And if LeBron is not hitting his shots, Golden State is probably going to win. LeBron was not hitting his shots, and Cleveland still won. Yeah, but... He still did enough things. It's because Steph Curry and Klay Thompson didn't hit their shots. Also didn't hit their shots. And We haven't know, brought up Klay Thompson yet. I mean, Clay, uh, I have a hard time really giving Clay a lot of gruff because, I mean, look, if you want to go back to the Oklahoma City series, obviously he saved their yeah. and then he felt like he, he kept them afloat a couple of times in these finals um, and just... And Clay had some good moments as a distributor last night. I mean, he had a couple of a, a good moments off it, but he made some, some good passes. He had a few nice assists. He, he found, uh, I think it was Draymond a nice behind the back at one point for an open three. Clay wasn't great, but he wasn't among those top three. Yeah, I mean, he didn't shoot it well. He's six of seventeen, and now, of course, the game cast for a game that has been over for hours is reloading. Um, so my box score disappeared. Come on, come back to me. Six of seventeen. He was only two of ten from three. Had fourteen points, two assists, two rebounds. But I mean, you talk about a guy that's tired. And had to be worn down. He went through James Harden, Damian Lillard, Russell Westbrook, Kyrie Irving, and Westbrook and Irving he had to deal with for seven freaking games. And he had to deal with uh, Harden and Lillard without step at points, too. Right, and it was carrying them offensively in part. And when he wasn't guarding Kyrie in this series, which he wasn't at times... He was being switched onto much bigger players, often LeBron James, at times Kevin Love, and he did admirably with that. Um, he also had one of the greatest shooting halves or quarters in the history of the NBA playoffs. Game six against Oklahoma City. Oh, so, game yeah, six Clay, against Oklahoma City is, uh, Lowe has brought this up a number of times. Like if, if Golden State had won, that goes down as one of the all-time games in NBA history. Yeah. Because of what Steph did, or what Clay did in saving their season. Um, all right, I'm out of stuff. Do you have anything else? Um, I just want to give a quick shout-out to, to Kevin Love for the way he defended Steph on that last three. I know yeah. I know Steph, I know probably a fully healthy Steph could shake him at some point, but it's, uh, it's so funny how it comes down to these little moments, and with Kevin Love, it's all series, Golden State's going to attack him. They're going to seek him out. They got Steph on him in their biggest offensive possession of the year. And Kevin Love defended his ass off. Kevin Love played his best game of the series. And Kevin Love deserves to chug beer with a stone cold Steve Austin shirt like a champ uh, because, yeah. because he was great. Yeah. He really he he, rebounded his ass off and he got his yeah. butt in the paint. And offensive rebound. I mean, he was hunting it. Like, he would and by the way, see that he had Steph on him yeah. in transition and just run to the front of the rim. And there was a couple times where, like, I, at least one time I can specifically remember where JR saw that that was happening 
And instead of like trying to force the ball in on the post to love, he just shot it. And he's like, you know what? Either I'm going to get three points or Kevin's getting this rebound. And that's a really smart yeah. play. Even if yeah. it's not a great shot, you just miss because Kevin's uh, love is down low on Steph Curry and is going to get the offensive rebound. Yep. Or get fouled. He got fouled on a few of those too. Yep. Uh, yeah, J.R. Smith, uh, I think uh, it, it's, it's funny to uh, also take away from this J.R. Smith's basketball IQ, but he played a smart game. The way that he subtly shaded Iguodala on that LeBron block, the shot you mentioned there. Um, it, it's just it's funny. I always enjoy when a team wins the championship. I enjoy looking at the bench guys, thinking like, oh, man, Timothy Mozgov's the champion now. Yes. And, uh, hey, Matthew Delvadova completely disappeared in the series. Uh, but it's cool when, when it, 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 it's, it's a cool thing to me to have guys like Jefferson and Mo Williams, um, these guys that have busted their tails for, for a decade, more, decade and a half of their careers to get that ring. That's, that's one of the sweetest parts of me when a team wins a championship, when you, when you look past the stars, uh, and not to say that they don't deserve it anymore, but like Richard Jefferson getting a ring. I mean, how cool is that? That that's, see how much it meant. How too. awesome is that? Yeah, I mean, this is a guy who was going to Dallas, who was let out of his deal to join Cleveland, and and he delivered unbelievably. He delivered yeah. in the 2016 NBA Finals. Richard freaking Jefferson, <laughs> who was on those early 2000s Nets NBA Finals team. Um, came through. Uh, Has there ever it, been an easier retirement decision? Oh my gosh! And the last thing I have is just a just a quick quick shout out to David Blatt wherever he is. I don't know if he still gets a ring for this. Probably <laughs> not. Oh, but, I think uh, they'll probably send him one. You think they probably? Yeah, they probably send him one. I really, I just want to know where David Blatt was, and I would have loved to see after the game ends. We have the shot of LeBron and love in the embrace. LeBron's crying. All right, camera shot of Steph walking off the floor. Cut to the celebration in Cleveland. I just want to cut to, like, David Blatt in the hotel room with his tie off and uh, just uh, a, a couple of bottles of, of Red Bull that have been just kicked down against the bed, slumped into his chair. Uh, not not really sure how to feel. Uh, oh. It's all, definitely got to be mixed emotions. It's got to be joking aside. for friends, yeah. but it's also got to be just like, man, I could have done this. But the, the truth right. is, and this is like real shout out, David Griffin, the Cavs GM, the job he's done over the past two years constructing this roster from the trades to, um, you know, basically it's funny that JR winds up being the biggest player uh, in those trades, bigger than Mozgov, bigger than, um, bigger than Shumpert. Uh, but engineering those trades and, you know, obviously making the way for LeBron to get back and doing those deals and then having the, the chutzpah to uh, fire Blatt midseason despite being the number one seed because he realized it was the right thing to do. And I think David Griffin's one of the very best general managers in the NBA. And uh, to see that rewarded is, is pretty cool. I remember last year going into a movie, I don't remember what movie, I remember going into a movie with a friend of mine when that J.R. Shepard deal came down, Yeah. when the Knicks were just basically selling off both for a second round pick, and I remember at the time, the initial report 
uh, one reporter had Reggie Jackson going into the going to the Knicks in that deal, yeah. and we were all we were a little bit excited about that. Then we got out and realized he wasn't going. And uh, I, I remember our reaction being, "Wow, Cleveland really thinks it's it's going to get out of this funk by adding J.R. Smith." Okay, and to uh, to to their credit, to David Griffin's credit, to LeBron's credit, to the Cavs' credit for utilizing him, uh, it turned out to be a stroke of genius to add him. Shepard didn't have the best series, but obviously he's here to lift the points. But yeah, J.R. Smith, uh, who knew a deserving NBA champion, and his post-game press conference answer about his parents and his embrace with his father was one of the more human moments. And yeah, J.R. Smith has really become one of the most fascinating uh, looks into an NBA player's sort of psyche and soul. I mean, this is the same J.R. Smith who was a, a walking punchline at New York for his, his nightlife activities. And it's, that, is a, that is amazing to see, to watch him kind of grow up to be as, as, as nakedly raw and honest as he's been. And you, you just, even though we don't know any of these guys, you just can't help but feel so happy for him and for love and for LeBron and, and Kyrie and Ty Lue and And obviously for the whole city. It, it is one of the cooler sporting stories, I think, of our lives just the human drama of sports, the way this series played out, the ultimate result, it's one of the more amazing things, one of the more emotional things that I've ever seen. And I, I just feel so just just bowled over um, in terms of the luck that we were able to watch this and, and be a part of this, interact with that. Agreed. That's a good note to end on. Congrats to the city of Cleveland. Um, a long time coming is an understatement there. And LeBron, he... In the end, like the, the summation of all of this, um, he did it. He freaking did it. Uh, if you want to follow Kevin on Twitter, at Kevin N. Brown, expect lots of Syracuse Chiefs baseball because that's his day job. Uh, and safe no, come on. The, the rest of the way to you're, Pawtucket. You're going you're gonna to knock all my followers away. There's only some Syracuse Chiefs baseball. Well, look, it's your job. Of course there should be something. But who doesn't care about Syracuse Chiefs baseball? I mean, that's, that's right. And they're also, like, fun interviews. I still need to go back and listen to the Lupinella one. Yeah, that was, that was, that was good. And Lupinella got a couple weeks ago. Um, I also tweeted out a YouTube link of Zaza Pachulia yelling, we're going to Game 7 last night. So if that's your kind of thing, if yeah. you're into that, uh, yeah, follow me. All right, add Kevin N. Brown. Uh, this was fun. I feel... Like there's, I, I, my brain is, is not as, as just ready to explode full of thoughts as it was, uh, and that's good. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. And if Cleveland and Golden State want to make this the best of three with the final next year, uh, I'll sign up. Yeah, yeah, I'm in. Let's just, we can fast forward to Let's do it. with that. All right, man, uh, safe travels to Pawtucket, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you.